What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome, dear listeners. I'm Jonathan Carlin. And I'm Ben Carlin. And we invite you to join us through the Gryffindor, your one-way ticket to the enchanting world of Harry Potter. So grab your wands, dust off your broomsticks, and join us as we unlock the secrets behind Philosopher's Stone, Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. Ooh, the midnight duel. Of, of the chapters or sequences from... The first book, which yeah. probably somehow I have actually read the fewest number of times. Really, I suspect out of the whole like series. when you restart, you're just like eh, skip to two. So, sometimes I'll skip to so, sometimes I'll skip to two. A lot of times I'll just start with Goblet because that that has historically <laughs> been my favorite, and I'm like, yeah, you know, like let's just <laughs> I let's get just, the gist of it. <laughs> we'll, we'll get right into the full swing of like Voldemort's return and everything that comes, mm-hmm. you know, in the wake of it. Yeah. Um, but this is the Midnight Duel is one of those scenes that is just completely left out of the films. Um, and the midnight duel is yeah, but they yeah. do go out and like find Fluffy. They do go out and find yeah. Fluffy. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so one, this one is the, the chapter where yeah, the, the Harry um, has flying lessons. He catches the remember all. He makes the Quidditch team, and then uh, Draco challenges him to a a midnight duel, and he accepts. And then they go do that, and Draco doesn't show up, but they find Fluffy. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Kind of interesting the fact that um, this is this is almost like the last chapter of the Potions Master, where um, like. The the chapter title is the Midnight Duel, which is sort of the catalyst for a lot of the events of the chapter. However, there is not actually a Midnight Duel. Yeah, there isn't one. Yeah, yeah. there's like the there's the the challenge of the Midnight Duel, but it does not come to pass. It does not. It does not. So anyway, let's let's go ahead and dive right on in, and we'll we'll just kind of go through as we always do, as we and do. sort of uh, figure out what happens and what stood out to us as the chapter unfolds. I know. Well, right away, the first sentence. I love that Harry is just like what what is it like out of the furnace and into the fire when it comes to like Dudley and Draco. It <laughs> really. Is the case? I mean, yeah, Draco could not even down to the the fact that they're like both like D names. Oh, feels D like, names and like the 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 favorite only you know the spoiled only child yes. of people who dislike Harry. Right, right, and it's yeah. it's remarkable that like literally it's like for Harry it's like how could good news I'll never have to deal with Dudley again ever again, and then it's like oh man, right? Like now there's this guy, yeah, you know, in in my new world that I love so much, um, yeah. So that's that's pretty unfortunate for Harry. Um, one of the other things, just on that exact note, that I think is particularly interesting is that uh, this chapter in particular, I think, really, really, really starts to ramp up this idea or constant looming threat of Harry's expulsion from Hogwarts. Yeah. Which, as a kid, I remember thinking was like, like this really weighed on me super heavy. Like the, oh, the really? constant, yeah. Like, I was always like goodness gracious like 
what they were able to establish in terms of what life is like for Harry at the Dursleys and the fact that he miraculously was able to escape that life and go live a better life. And then the, the fact that like, it feels like that, that knowledge is sort of constantly being used against you where it's like, like expulsion on some level, like, you know, would, would never be a good thing. And especially as like a student, the idea of getting like suspended from school always yeah. seemed like, like a really ominous thing to have happened. It's yeah. like the equivalent of, of getting like a jail sentence, but for like an elementary school kid or something, it was like, like, yeah. If you were suspended, it was like, because any kid would rather like, you know, stay home and go to school. Like, I mean, going to school. Oh, I know. I always thought I remember there was, I think in my entire like elementary school career, there was like one kid who ever got expelled for anything and he was out of school for a week. And I remember the whole week just being like, I mean, he didn't have to come to school. I I know, know, but it's weird that the punishment is that I feel like I was always so astutely aware of how upset mom and dad would be. And if I if I was suspended, it was like life at home is going to be way. Oh, I mean, that's the truth of the situation, but right. as the students who still have to go to school, you're like, oh, if anything, they've got it good over there, right? Like they misbehaved now. They don't. Be. Yeah, anyway, so but it comes up several times throughout the chapter. So that was that was like one of the one of my uh, closing thoughts was I was like, OK, they really start to like scale up this particular this like threat. Oh, yeah, the books would have you believe that the uh, every student in Hogwarts is basically like inching their way uh, next to the, the the edge of a cliff and at any moment might be expelled for any reason at all. Well, this is this is almost how like the wizarding world works as well, where it's like the fact that like any crime sends you to Azkaban. Oh, I know. It's it's such a harsh punishment for any crime at all. And and so it's like it it is interesting, like in a a school that is like known to be filled with calamity, like where the the Weasley twins have managed to like successfully make it through this many years of. Oh, I know. That's the other thing. It's like it's not really on the table. The other thing is like you have to admire Harry, like 11 year old Harry's humility in the situation, because like if he if he could like step back for like just a second and think about his own situation, like like if he if he knew more about his own situation, like he is under zero threat of being expelled. Like Dumbledore is not letting this kid go at all. Yeah, hundred percent. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like if if he had any idea how important he was to the not just not just to the overall equation, but even just to Dumbledore as like an individual. Um, yeah, there's there's no way in the world. There's no way in the world. But either way, it comes up several times in this chapter, and that was something that I thought was that was kind of remarkable um, because there are there are a multitude of different ways that they think they can be expelled just in this chapter alone. Oh, I know. Um, um, so even at the bottom of the first page here, there's the, this introduction to the idea that like uh, uh, Malfoy is talking about how good he is at Quidditch, and he said Ron says anyway. I know Malfoy is always going on about how good he is at Quidditch, but I bet that's all talk. But it's not. Which there's this like sort of running trend where it's like Malfoy seems like this annoying obstacle all the time, but it's like he's not like incapable like he is a capable opponent and he is frequently getting things done yes yeah yeah and i and i think because it, like a lot of times it comes through the lens of him being such a jerk and such a bully right that, like a lot of times you think that like this is your classic high schooler that's like being mean because he's otherwise compensating for something but as we see with malfoy as time goes on it's like coming into this year like part of his jealousy of harry is literally going to spawn from the fact that what he expected for himself like potentially being like a like like first first year in a century to be selected for a Quidditch team like all things being equal like Malfoy probably had decent reason to believe that that could have been him oh I mean yeah I mean if not for Harry Draco probably is like the most popular kid 
that year. That year. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's very well liked by the other Slytherins and he is good at other things and he's even really good at school. Like, I mean, like Harry and Ron squeak into Slughorn's um, class in sixth year. Oh, yeah, because like, he doesn't require like an outstanding on the right. OWLs. So but yeah. like Draco just got in. He just got in and yeah. he's also actively practicing like, you know, legitimacy uh, throughout, you know, the whole year against or occlumency. Occlumency, rather, yeah. yeah, against Snape, you know, which is the thing that like Harry can't grasp to save his life. You know, he's like fixing the vanishing cabinet. Like, yeah, people don't give Malfoy, I don't think, enough credit for just being an right. otherwise like, I mean, he's a pain. I mean, oh, he's an reason. absolute pain and absolute jerk. But I think people like it's easy to like rope him in with like crab and gorilla is like he's like annoying and he has resources but he's not actually very good at the stuff but like he is good at the stuff he is good at the stuff yeah. for sure um one of, one of the huge ironies though uh that we that we see inside of this chapter is that like really draco is kind of his own worst enemy when it comes to this whole quidditch thing because <laughs> if if not for his like sort of jerk move and picking on neville and and stealing the remember all like then harry doesn't he's not able to display his you know instinctive abilities on a Dude, broomstick and I, yeah my note at the end of this chapter was Malfoy keeps accidentally advancing the plot for Harry yes where, yeah, yeah like, absolutely yeah he takes the remember all Harry gets on the Quidditch team he challenges him to the midnight duel Harry finds the trap door <laughs> even like, yeah even the fact that like um, from the very beginning that like Draco was one of the first fellow students that he ever met and and sort of like brought about this like negativity attached to the name of Slytherin house like even that it's like like Draco was sort of like dictating some of like how Harry responds to what he oh, I know there's like there's like a certain amount of like Draco is Voldemort's worst enemy and has no idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a, that would be a hilarious plot line to tug on is sort yeah. of like like if anything, I think Malfoy keeps getting in the way of like what you know, if Harry gets to Hogwarts and has no idea about any of this stuff, you know, like there's a very real chance he just ends up in, in Slytherin. Just ends up in Slytherin. Right. Yeah. yeah where, where he, if although that would even suck for Malfoy because if he became Slytherin's seeker, then that would mean Draco doesn't make the team as seeker. You know. Well, I, it would, but it's like, I wonder if Draco would have cared. It's like, I think Draco wants to be the Slytherin seeker because Harry is the Gryffindor seeker. So he wants to be able you to know. go toe to toe with him. Right. So because he wants to prove that he's better than him. But if Harry, if they were in the same house and Harry was already the seeker, I imagine Malfoy would still want to be on the team just That's as a different you know different position, position. Yeah. yeah that makes sense that makes yeah. sense and we do know from Ginny that you can play more than one position pretty easily or or at least possibly yeah, yeah. yeah. you can you can transfer transferable skills yes yes know? of course um we we did sort of uh we we jumped around a little bit here um but like a couple of things i thought were particularly interesting um is the well a piece of trivia that i that i just highlighted is that dean's poster is of west ham soccer team yep um one of the things i thought was sort of just mildly interesting and i'd be curious if like other copies of the book read it as football team um, just because this is like a UK based public, you know, uh, Oh, you're right. But it does use the word soccer. Oh yeah. We do have like the Sorcerer Stone version of the book. So I do wonder if it says football. The next sentence after that says Ron couldn't see what was exciting about a game with only one ball where no one was allowed to fly. And I'm like, I'm reading that and like there is a chance to me that it 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 reads as if Ron has never heard of soccer. (laughs) That is how I would interpret it. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's I, like, I, like, or is he coming into the argument like, oh, Dean, 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 Dean. We're not putting that poster up in here. Like, soccer? Are you kidding me? One ball? They don't fly? No. No, I yeah. think he doesn't understand this. This to me feels like the the inverse of sort of like, um, you know, like the fish out of water, uh, like yeah. like mechanism. I guess is that like normally Harry's a fish out of water because he's being just introduced to all things new. He's drinking from a fire hose in the Wizarding World. Like everything is new. But on the flip end of things, like soccer is one of the most popular sports 
sports on planet Earth. And so this is like one of those things where Ron has been isolated by the wizarding world and doesn't know it, which is bonkers, especially like in Britain where soccer is so big, not to mention with his dad being Arthur Weasley, almost certainly Quidditch yeah. is Arthur's second favorite sport. Oh, yeah, to, compared to, to compared yeah, to, but it's probably not even soccer for like Arthur. He probably likes like cricket or something, yeah. some obscure <laughs> muggle just, sport. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah like, which like, uh, just I say that as an American knowing full well that cricket is wildly popular in almost everywhere else. That, yeah, exactly. It's like so many people right now are like, why did you just like, choose, why'd you cricket? choose cricket? Like, what about, are you doing? How about American football where it's played in America? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have other versions of it in Canada and Australia, but let's but but then also American football. So much fun. You guys see the Hokies last night. They stomped Syracuse. It was well, great. Yeah, totally stepping out of stepping yeah. out out of the context of wow. our of our of our show here. I know. Yep. Sorry about that. Yeah, we'll sorry. get we'll get back to back to this now. Okay, but I thought that was funny because literally yesterday I had a message on Instagram where someone was um, like complaining that like he, there was no way the Harry Potter books actually took place in the 90s because at no point in the books did someone did any of the characters say like wow, can you believe the run the bulls are having right now? It's <laughs> 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 like excellent point. Excellent point, but also Ron's never even heard of soccer. So, so I, I, I doubt they know about American basketball. I think we're clear. Yeah, yeah. They didn't know who Jordan was. Um, yeah. No, that's hilarious. But okay. So, yeah, so as we move on past the West Ham team, um, the other thing that I find to be kind of interesting is the way that Hermione sort of struggles uh, a little bit because oh, you, yes. you see the first time where um, like Quidditch is not something you can necessarily like, like you can read about it in books, but like it's not something you can learn how to do from a book. Like it needs to be done through some level of like, you know, intuitive relationship with with the broomstick. Yeah, um, I mean, Harry is acting completely on instinct when he's on the broom. A hundred percent. I mean, he it technically is not the first time he's it's ever true. ridden a broom. It's true. Um, because we know that Sirius gave him one as a for his first birthday that would hover like a I think like a foot off of the ground. Yeah. Um, but like clearly Harry has some like instinctive abilities when it comes to, to comes to flying. But um, it is always interesting to me because the other one that that I think this also ends up being true for where instincts sort of outplay um, what you can learn out of a textbook is that Harry does outdo Hermione in Defense Against the Dark Arts. Yeah, so it's it the, does tie in there too. Yeah, it's the one subject that he's able to sort of like edge her out on. Um, so I, it's just kind of interesting that this is like also true for this particular other activity that Harry also happens to excel at. Yes, it does. So it's like no coincidence though. Um, I also love when I love when the um, the male gets there this uh, when Neville gets the remember all in this one. There's a few things that I like about this little little section here is one that uh, it says Harry hadn't had a single letter since Hagrid's note, something that Malfoy had been quick to notice, which <laughs> is just like, dude, Draco, how obsessed are you with Harry? Oh my god! Like every morning, you're like, did Potter get something? Potter, you get any mail? You get any mail? He, he, he didn't get any mail, right? You, I'm, I got, I I'm looking. You. I'm watching. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna make sure that I'm getting more mail than him. Honestly, it reminds me a lot of uh, in Deathly Hallows. Harry ends up having this like a like weird obsession with Stan Sean Pike being yeah. like the one who's like <laughs> being you know. Um, um, manipulated into being a Death Eater and like it just keeps coming back to Stan and I'm like Harry I don't think Stan was like a great dude who's like being like seduced to the dark side I mean he, he's under the Imperius curse like he's not actually a Death Eater yeah but it's also like is Stan the hill that we're dying on over Apparently, here? Apparently, he is the hill that yeah. they're dying on. Um, I also yeah. love that Malfoy gets packages of sweets from home uh, every 
uh, like almost on the daily, it sounds like, because I'm just trying to imagine either Narcissa or Lucius like packing him a basket of treats, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, it's like in my mind, like you'd love to think that most in most cases, this is just like a mom being like, oh, you know, he's probably homesick. I'm sending him some treats to make him feel good. But like in my mind, Narcissa is packing this basket solely with the intent that like when this lands, the other students will know Draco's better than them. I think that's exactly. Yeah. I mean, her name is Narcissa. Yeah, that's true. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's not that far off from, yeah. from Narcissus. So I think 100 percent she's just literally trying to ensure that everybody knows that like her son is getting like even even more right than the rest of them yeah uh to like i mean almost to a fault because i mean on some level you could probably just send enough treats for a week and not send an owl daily oh i know it's absolutely crazy um then just a few lines down there's uh when neville gets to remember all like there's uh never was trying to remember what he'd forgotten i love that it seems like the obvious problem with the remember all like how does it ever going to help you do anything but in the movies there's like a very like just neat like eagle eye thing you can notice where um like if you look at Neville's surroundings as he picks up the remember all, it turns red and it's like the thing he has forgotten is his robes. Like all the other students are wearing robes, but he is not. Oh, and I've like, never caught that before. Yeah, so that's that is so the thing clever. he's forgotten in the movie, which I always think is really fun. Nope, that's perfect. That's yep. perfect. Okay. But then it also says when it, when Malfoy comes over to like take it from Neville, it's like it says who was passing by the Gryffindor, Gryffindor table and it's like again Malfoy stop being so obsessed because they have laid out for you how the tables are Ours. arranged and there is just no reason at all for Draco to be meandering over towards the Gryffindor table it's like it at all. He's gone drastically yeah. out of his way and, and it's probably because he's not paying attention to his own owl's arrival and he's literally just watching what's happening amongst the other first year Gryffindor boys and yeah. he's gone far out of his way to go and be a menace which like that's like one of those things where it says like um, like McGonagall who could spot trouble quicker than any teacher in the school was there in a flash. It's like no I bet what McGonagall saw was Draco walking across the entire great uh, hall. I know like, to go when there's just no reason for him to be it's there. It's like it's like there is like guaranteed this is this is just to cause yeah. trouble. So anyway, as we scoot forward, though, uh, there is a, just an interesting like little detail that I think helps give us some contextualization. Well, I don't know why I said context, context as to how many students uh, are in each class. Yes, so we've always known. Did you pick up on this? Too? I did. I circled it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so like one of the big things we've always been really curious about is it seems like there's shockingly few students at school. Um, basically, we know Harry is one of five um, boys in the Gryffindor common room. He's, of course, there with Ron, Neville, Dean and Seamus. Um, Hermione is <laughs> not that he's always aware of that I'm going to point out for later in the chapter <laughs> sure that's a, that's yeah. a good point yeah. um, but uh, the other is that we know that Hermione knows Lavender Brown and Parvati Patil yeah. as the other two first year Gryffindors and then there are somehow two possibly two other unnamed Gryffindor uh, girls. girls that we just never we never get an intro to which seems shocking it kind of does like like how, how could they have no role in anything ever at all or else it's just those three and the Slytherin first years vastly outnumber the Gryffindors which is possible but yeah so the line that, that Jay and I both caught on to here is that the Slytherins were already there this is for flying lessons and it says and so were 20 broomsticks lying in neat lines on the ground so what we've always sort of extrapolated and, and this is based on minimal evidence but it's essentially that let's say that there are five boys in the Gryffindor five girls in Gryffindor five boys in Slytherin five girls in Slytherin 20 broomsticks total yeah you know and then approximately 
ultimately what you end up with is 40 new students per year, 280 students total that attend Hogwarts at once. Um, as we pointed out, though, there is a chance that numbers are overall down during these particular years because these are the students who would have reached age 11 uh, sort of in the wake of Voldemort's peak to power. Right. You know, so it's, it's entirely possible that that families were um, not having kids because of their other eyes um, to uh, afraid of what was going on and not wanting to bring children into a world where, you know, somebody like that was was at rule yeah. uh, or potentially going to seize rule, um, you know, or the other is, you know, just simply quite literally fighting in the fight against. Oh, Baltimore. yeah. Or they were just being killed. Right. Exactly, it actually yeah. it would almost make sense for there to be more Slytherin kids in that a way. Little bit. In that yeah. way, it would make sense. Yeah. yeah. So I like could, they would have felt maybe the safest during that time. Right. So yeah. I, I don't I don't have an issue assuming that there are 12 Slytherins here and eight Gryffindor. Sure. I mean, we know Draco, Crab, Goyle, and Blaze are four of the Slytherin boys, and then yes. we know just of Pansy Parkinson, I think, and Millicent Bolstrode of the girls. I think you're right. Yeah, I don't, um, there might be more known ones, but those are the ones that come to mind. Speaking of Pansy, there was a detail. I don't know if you caught this one or not um, that I thought was kind of interesting, but uh, Pansy Parkinson famously throughout the entire story will always, always, always refer to um, Hermione as her last name of Granger. However, on the, the very next page, uh, Pansy does get like her first speaking lines, I believe, and says, ooh, sticking up for Longbottom. Um, a hard-faced Slytherin girl said, never thought you'd like fat little crybabies, Parvati. Um, and so she refers to Parvati by her first name. Mm. That's like one of those things where it's like, is there a chance that the uh, Patil twins would have grown up close to or in proximity to uh, Pansy? I actually wrote that down too. I said, did they know each other? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like yeah. I mean, because even, even the Patil twins are sorted into different houses. So, But if, they've all got that like um, alliterative P name as well. They randomly. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so this is this is like one of those things where like, you know, we know that prior to age 11 uh, wizarding kids, you know, are not um, they're not attending like a formalized school system. They're just educated by their parents. Um, but it's not to say that like a lot of the wizarding families wouldn't just simply know one another and have their kids spending time. So that's like a really, really, really interesting like sleight of hand. I feel like that almost suggests like these these girls grew up. Yeah. knowing each other well, but then bit. i think all, that might even continue to track because i think in order of the phoenix the patil's parents are thinking of taking them out of school that is true so they might be more like on the ministry side of things they very well could be Ooh, that's that a, is interesting that's a yeah. good point yeah yeah hmm. and 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 that being said um you know uh parvati and lavender end up being of course best friends as gryffindors but they, they can be a little bit at times shallow it yeah. feels um like you know they they sort of get like ultra enamored with like divination and you know like yeah they're they're um, you know, I guess Parvati has a little bit of a crush on Harry as of fourth year, and and you know, it's, of course, attends the Yule Ball with him. Um, and it's it's like, is that like was it because like Harry's like a, like a school champion, you know, and it's like a little mm-hmm. bit of, a little bit of social hierarchy, a little bit. Yeah, um, I mean, and then I think um, I think Seamus refers to Parvati and Padma as like the best looking girls in the class or something. Yes, yeah, he yeah. does. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, they're like she's like a popular girl. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, basically, yep. for sure, for sure. Yeah, but I also this is uh, that said, this was a great chapter for. Parvati, which I've never really noticed before, like when uh, Malfoy starts, he says, "Did you see it? Did you see his face? The great lump." And the other Slytherins start laughing, and, and Parvati is the one who speaks up and says, "Shut up, Malfoy!" Oh, I was no, like, yeah. "Oh, good for you, Parvati! Look at you don't you don't see Parvati do a lot of standing up to anyone for most of the book. I mean, she's in the DA later right, on, yes, yeah, yeah. So there is like that, but like this is like a." Uh, a, like a, a nice tiny little character moment for her. And I think she has another one later on in the chapter as well. 
Um, we'll see if I can find it again as we as we keep moving. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, tiny character roles, let's talk about Madam Hooch for just one hot second, who clearly has just got the most choice position at Hogwarts. School oh my gosh! Of anybody, because near as we know, like flying lessons are like a really big deal, and and I suppose it's possible that like they have other flying lessons that they just don't tell us about. But as far as we know, this is the only one they ever have and beyond this the only other thing that we know madam hooch to do for the school at all is referee the quidditch matches which you know each team plays three games total per season like this is like one of those like my my brain can never math correctly but four teams that all play each other does that end up accumulating i think it's six games total okay yeah Yeah. so it's like it's not a terribly busy schedule yeah right you know it's not even like she's like running the quidditch tryouts or overseeing practices or something like maybe maybe she has to like keep track of the schedule when the captains schedule it or something i don't know possibly yeah like but it it feels like one of these things where like maybe she's just like a resident of hogsmeade and just sort of like you know volunteers at the school because she was maybe like a former you know uh holy head harpy or something like that you know like like she she was a she was like a a famous quidditch player once upon a time is is you know fierce and tough and stuff like that but like pretty much you know just comes in helps out with quidditch stuff helps out the quidditch stuff but like i think even later in this book she like Snape replaces her as the referee for one of the Quidditch matches. You might be which right. Which is kind yeah. of like, oh, I didn't know Snape was so good on a broom. That eight yeah. is always kind a of a little surprising. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like that. That's like one of those where I feel like there could be like a training montage in like a Marauder series where like Snape, because I mean, Snape is not exactly regarded in the, any of the flashbacks as being particularly athletic. So it's like, is it possible that like what you would see if you were watching a Marauder series and, and uh, you know, James and, and the rest of them going through their years at Quid- uh, uh, at Hogwarts rather, um, like if Snape would be like working really hard to actually like overcome what might be like um, some some skill deficiencies in the in the the world of of flying and like yeah. actually like grows to be good at it somehow. I, I mean, I can see him like privately training himself to be good at Quidditch just because of how jealous he is of James. Yes, yeah, almost yeah. almost certainly. And I mean, he does fly a broom in the Battle of the Seven Potters pretty effectively that's true so it's like he can do it yeah yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. It, almost certainly at some point in time he becomes proficient we, we yeah. don't actually know for sure that he ever wasn't but that's just sort of asserting on the basis of of james being your classic kind of um like jock you yeah know, from high school and snape being more of like your stereotypical like like um like bookhead or something like that yeah um you know but anyway uh yeah so on on the note of madame pooch a little bit there there's kind of a like a nice sentimental moment i guess if you if you want to call it that where she seems pretty tough you know like what are you all waiting for she barked you know and it's like it's almost immediately like she's kind of got like a little bit of like intensity but then neville's uh broomstick of course sort of like goes rocketing off the ground um this is like one of those things in the movie that i actually feel like i would argue was not a detail that was like well executed um neville is sort of like klutzy on his own but in in the film, when Neville's broom goes up in the air, it's almost bucking him in the same way that Harry's broom is bucking him. Oh, the sure. First match. Yeah. The only like big thing about that is that like we know why Harry's broom was bucking him. Like, right. It's specifically because Quirrell is there like actively trying to hurt him while he's on the broom. Like Harry hasn't like lost control, you know, but like when they show it like Neville doing the same thing, it's like you might just be under the impression like, oh, brooms just do that. Yeah. You know, like that might just yeah. be a like, characteristic. Of Whereas, yeah, here in the book, he like shoots up in the air and then it's like, oh, and just sort of like slumps off. Kind of kind of almost immediately falls off. But anyway, so that's the thing, um, you know, uh, she Neville falls to the ground. She immediately comes over, assesses the broken wrist. Um, and I think that like, you know, she she then like walks away 
um, with Madame Hooch who had her arm around him. So it's like for someone who was otherwise kind of like fierce, you mm-hmm. know, it seems like with Madame Hooch, it's like she clearly cares for like a, a student in need. Yeah, th- I mean, there is that. I also feel like that when I was reading this, I was like, it seems like this. She should have been prepared for almost this exact thing to happen. You know, like you have a bunch of first years who've never been on a broom before. Like certainly you're prepared for one of them to fall right from a great distance. Like what should you know, this seems like the number one thing you should be looking out for. It, uh, it seems like there should be like a, yeah. like a spell cast across like the ground or something. Yeah, like, and you, like the, you can't the, go more than five feet or something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you do fall, it like will cushion your landing. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. Or like, she, yeah, I don't know. Or then even the, <laughs> she just like Neville falls and she's like, all right, I'll leave you all here unattended with the brooms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. right. Like, like, I wrote, yeah, right next yeah, to that. Yeah, <laughs> like, not, uh, not, not a all. good call, Madam Pooch. Not also, a great call. It, it seems like in every other occasion ever when somebody needs to be sent to the hospital wing, they're almost always sent off either on their own, which I think Neville was literally in the last chapter when he spilled potions on himself <laughs> or another student guides them up to the hospital. Yeah. Way. So it's like the fact that the teacher's taking him is kind of like, is that yeah. really necessary? But yeah, maybe because right. she's not a real teacher. She's just a volunteer. Just a volunteer. There you go. But yeah. then um, let's see. No, never mind. Okay. Never mind. We'll come back to it. Okay. Let's yep, see. No yeah. Malfoy goes into the air. He throws the remember all. Harry realizes he's immediately good at flying and catches it. And then McGonagall sees him and she comes out and she's like, how dare you might have broken your neck. Yeah. yeah so I'm, I'm almost surprised. She's like so mad at him when She's there to. I like, think she's putting on a front. Oh, you think she's like? Th- that's my thinking oh. here because I think McGonagall has such a soft spot for Quidditch. Yeah, like this is like one of those things where I think I think in this I think she's normally very stern um, as like her resting demeanor, but I think in this particular instance she knows that what the rest of the students need to see is sternness like that's that's my read on the situation like she's almost like well I can't go out there and just be like well done Potter yeah you know like, like, like that like that sends a bad message to the rest of the kids it's like they, they need to think that he's being punished for exactly what's about to yeah. happen here but guess um, who speaks up who speaks it's up Parvati is it Parvati yeah. there we go that's your moment she says it wasn't his fault professor and she says be quiet Miss Patil and I'm like oh, she's the first one to speak up for Harry way to go Parvati I know way, way to go, go. this yeah. is probably your best chapter she does she, she does start strong there's one thing we, we just glided over real quick that I just want to touch on oh, real yeah, fast yeah, yeah, just yeah. simply because it, it comes up later but um, Harry's first moment um, you know uh, coming off the ground on the broom uh, it says in a rush of fierce joy he realized he found something he could do without being taught this was easy this was wonderful mm-hmm. um, the only reason I bring it up it's just this is the memory Harry goes back to when first trying to cast a Patronus. Oh, um, you're right. Yeah. So this is that, that's just like sort of like a notable like you know that that means that like in this moment like this is like one of the best things that's ever happened to Harry before. Right. Absolutely. You know, even more so than Hagrid's arrival or going to Gringotts or getting his wand or meeting right, like Ron being like, on a broom. Yeah, being on a. It's broom. like the amount to which Quidditch is important to Harry is like one of those things that like very much think it's like glossed over in the movies. He's sort of like just on the team in the movies, but like his motivation for like even learning to Patronus, it's not because he like cares about defeating Dementors or doesn't like them or something. It's like it's so he can play Quidditch. Yes, like that yeah, is yeah. his primary motivation. Like when he's when he's dating Cho, like with the only thing he knows to talk about. Yeah, let's talk about Quidditch. Yeah, but you know, this yeah. Is like, it's like my, this is my thing. Basically, this is it. This is it's, yeah. it's that and defeating Dark Lords. That's it. That's what, what I What would do. you like to choose? Your, yeah. your boyfriend was killed by one of them. Okay, so well, Quidditch it is. So Quidditch it is. And then she's like, no, actually, I really want to talk about that first one. 
<sighs> like but. only that. <laughs> that date is. You probably well. need to talk about it too. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's probably true. That you is probably, true. I mean, no, I've got Hermione. <sighs> Harry, come on, Harry, dude. Oh man. <laughs> anyway, um, once again, so basically, uh, as as Harry is being like carted away from all of his uh, fellow students there for catching the remember all, he uh, we get the line. He was going to be expelled. He just knew it. So once again, you yeah, know, this the is threat. Like the, the threat of expulsion is, is just kind of constantly looming over him. Uh, there's sort of a dark moment, if you will, um, where of course Harry thinks he's, he he's certain he's in trouble. Professor McGonagall goes um, to Professor Flitwick's class and says, "Could I borrow wood for a?" moment would thought Harry bewildered it was would a cane she was going to use on him I wrote yikes yeah it's like what has happened like we never get any indication that the Dursleys have done anything physically harmful to Harry yeah Um, but like this is like one of those where it's like did the Dursleys do something physically harmful to Harry? I mean, Dudley had the smelting stick, you know. He did have the smelting know, stick. Which is apparently given to students for the express purpose of hitting each other when the teachers weren't looking. Th- that is just, the, that, I, that, again, I think that's through the lens of Harry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that has to be the case. Anyway, so that, that's like one of those things where I was like, I read that line and I was like, I've never caught that before or it has never really stuck with me before. But I was like, man, that's that's a scary thing to think is about to happen to you certainly is the way filch seems to treat the students as if that's like an actual punishment he's allowed to reach for yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but again that that goes back to filch's whole thing where it's just sort of like it's like his whole embodiment is is like rule breaking or rule following to a fault yeah so anyway um the description of wood i always think is fascinating because i've always loved the casting of wood in the um in the films i I pretty much just like make a fire beater make a fire beater (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, what turned out uh, to be a person, a burly fifth year boy who came out of Flitwick's class looking confused. Um, now, this is one. This is I just want to like, when when McGonagall gets wood from the class in the movies, he doesn't get him from Flitwick's. It's this is just one of those great moments in all the movies where she gets him from Coral's class. So this is where Coral's holding up the iguana for, for, <laughs> for, for, for just no reason. It's like iguanas are not magical. <laughs> They're like remarkably common creatures. Yeah, um, no, I know that that is like one of our favorite scenes to, to throw to whenever we're talking about Quirrell is just like, why is he holding an iguana? <laughs> Can you imagine what they were doing on set? He's like, so he'll be teaching class. Hold this. What? <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, sure. The iguana? Yeah. The kind of, the small, the big one. The, bi- the big one. Okay. 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 Yeah, fun fact. I uh, my, my first job was working at a store called Petland, yeah. and one of the things I worked in the, the fish and reptile department, and uh, the storage container for the iguana tank was clear on the front where con- where customers could come by and like you know peer in at the iguanas, but on the back end was just a bunch of locked doors in like the back room that yeah. like opened up to the other side, and it was the most terrifying thing in the world because you would go, you put the key in the door, and you would you would turn it to open it, and then like iguanas may or may not just jump on. On you yeah. because like you know they don't they're all of a sudden the door is opening and they're just like what's going on freedom yeah so the the number of times actually one iguana did cut get out for a very long time and we didn't find it forever and when we did it was like five times the size Whoa. because it was like eating all of like the crickets and stuff that had jumped out that's it was hilarious pretty ridiculous anyway that's a totally so there was bad. just like sort of a wild iguana roaming around the store if you ever go to a pet store you can almost be certain that somewhere hiding behind like the walls or tanks or pumps or something like that is is like a just like a, a rogue snake or a, an iguana yeah pretty much yeah. yeah so just keep that in mind every okay. time you go in there cool yeah yeah, yeah. almost <laughs> certainly the case <laughs> kind of terrifying awesome yeah how fun is that through the gryffindor is sponsored by a better help 
let me tell you what, I wish I had more time. Between time for family, work, exercise, and household responsibility, life keeps me so busy. So much so that part of my own problem is that even when I do find a window of time to do something just for me, I'm not even sure what I want it to be. Like read a book, take a nap, contemplate the turnings of the world. It's strange, but at some point in time, I may have lost the thread on what I actually want to do with my own time. And that's where therapy can really truly help. It's one of the primary topics I bring up in my own sessions. How do I recognize my own genuine passions versus what I think the world, family, or social media might want me to do? Finding breakthroughs in this department has been massive. It means my downtime is actually refilling my cup compared to being worn out attempting to keep up in the rat race of life. If you're ever finding yourself grappling with something similar, consider therapy with BetterHelp. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Gryffindor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Gryffindor. Through the Gryffindor is supported by Rosetta Stone. As much as I love getting lost in a fictional world, I also love traveling abroad and getting lost out in the real world. And by getting lost, I of course mean finding adventure. And just like mastering the intricate spells of the wizarding world, learning a new language can be an adventure all on its own. With Rosetta Stone's innovative language learning programs, you can unlock the secrets of communication from the comfort of your own common room. And Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. I think where I personally always struggled in school trying to learn a new language is the classes were long and my attention simply would drift, but Rosetta Stone provides lessons as short as 10 minutes. You could even do it during your morning commute, making it perfect for any attention span. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Through the Gryffindor listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. Okay, so are you guys like me? Like where you watch the Avengers, you're like, wow, Nick Fury has no idea how to assemble a team. I would make so many changes. Well, with Marvel Strike Force, you can do just that. Because this game is all about engaging in epic battles, strategically assembling your team of heroes and villains to stop the evil Ultimus. But it is really not just about the battles. I mean, Marvel Strike Force offers an immersive storyline, stunning graphics, and a vast roster of characters to collect an upgrade from Spider-Man to Captain America, Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom to Black Panther, the entire Marvel Universe is yours to explore. So seriously, it doesn't even matter if you're a hardcore Marvel fan or not, or whether you're just looking for like an action-packed RPG experience, download Marvel Strike Force now on the App Store or Google Play Store and join millions of players worldwide and unleash the power of the Marvel Universe on your mobile device. Plus, this is kind of the cool thing and maybe why you want to do it like right now is because because the Deadpool anniversary event is going on right now. So there's like weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you receive special awards and skins and all that fun, cool cosmetic upgrade stuff. And and we have a unique promo code for every new user. So please follow the link in our description. That's how they know you came from us and use the promo code MAXPOOL. And once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. 
anyway, so we can continue back on with the story. Um, let's see here. So um, we we definitely get like the the first introduction. I, it does surprise me when you know more about Oliver Wood as a captain of the Quidditch team. It seems surprising to me that he would be open to a scenario where McGonagall is simply telling him, "I found you a seeker. This is going to be your player." Yeah, this is it. This is it. This is it. Um, but that being said, um, it you don't need to hold tryouts, which is also weird because later on, I think I think it's Katie Bell who tells Harry's like, no, you don't need to try out. You're on the team. And she's like, no, don't do that. Like right. everyone still has to try out. Plenty of people have plenty of teams have gone bad because they just keep hiring the old favor, or, you know, the old players, yeah, yeah, the old players. And it's like, meanwhile, and like you'd think that like Oliver Wood would believe that like to the core of his being like such a Quidditch player. Yes. You know, yes. like I'm absolutely having tryouts. Everyone's spot is up for grabs every single year. And yet he's just like, no, nah, I the basically the six, six of us are here from last year. So we'll all be on the team. And McGonagall, you found this kid. I haven't seen him fly, but he's on. <laughs> you mean he's he's flown once. Cool. One time ever. Okay. We're going to win. That's enough. Yeah, I, I, I'm certainly this is this is going to be amazing. I do love his. Yeah, he does just immediately accept the, the circumstances and says, we'll have to get him a decent broom professor, a Nimbus 2000 or a clean sweep seven, I'd say, which to me reads as like so presumptuous. Like what I want to know the inner workings of like do, why they're allowed to buy who is allowed to buy Harry a broom. Like does the school buy it for him? Does the Gryffindor Quidditch team have like a booster club or like do they have some amount of funds and they were like we're putting basically all those all that money that we have into buying Harry a broom. I, this or, is it, it is it is kind of shocking because it is one of those things where it's like not only are they getting him a broom, but they're getting him like the newest and latest like like broom that there is. I know, but like if the school is capable of getting him a broom, then why don't all why doesn't the whole team have Nimbus two thousands? The fact that different Quidditch players have different brooms is kind of one of those things that it's like it feels like they should have the same broom. Like it does this feels feel like, like, that. like you know in NASCAR for example, it's like one of the things you may or may not know, I don't know, um, about like the sport of NASCAR is that they are all driving the exact same car with the exact same abilities. And the idea is who can drive the exact same car the best. Right. That's what stock car means. That is what stock car means. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, so I, I do feel like that's always been one of those things where it's like like clearly as Harry becomes, you know, uh, a captain later, like he never refers to a situation and maybe it's because Ron has already like gotten a broom, but it never seems like Harry is like, oh yeah, Ron, don't worry, man. Like we'll get you a new Nimbus 2001. Like you know, we'll yeah, right, out. yeah, yeah. Or or by that time, probably like a Nimbus 2005 or something. Um, anyway, but so the next line is, I'll shall speak to Dumbledore and see if we can't bend the first year rule. Um, this is like one of those those favorite fan theories that we've got about the story, but um, we we will soon learn that uh, Harry is the youngest uh, Quidditch player for a school team in almost a century. In almost a century, but guess who started? So it's. 1991 yes in this in in uh, this school year as we're reading it so one century ago would have been 1891 but uh, Dumbledore himself began attending the school in 1892 so 99 years ago basically uh, around a century a century ago yes yeah uh, and we know that Dumbledore entered his first year and by the end of his first year was known as the most brilliant student ever and won every like award the school had to offer, which if that's true, it means that he would. I mean, by the time he finishes school or whatever, but it means he also would have had to have won the Quidditch Cup. 
at um, least once. W- at least once while he was there. And uh, we know that Dumbledore is like really into Quidditch. Like he keeps up with it as well. Like he's yes. like, oh, uh, he always knows how the Chudley Cannons are doing or whatever. Yes. So yep. it seems like Dumbledore is in on it. We see him fly a broom as well when they're coming back from Madame Rose Murtis to go. True. And it's like it even says like Dumbledore like leaned down on the broom. Like he knows like he's good at it. Yeah. Like he, yeah. He, he knows how to handle a broomstick. Yeah. So so. And, yep. and the fact that it's literally just like I shall speak to Professor Dumbledore, see if we can't bend in the first year rule. It's like if anybody was going to allow, yeah, you know, somebody to do it, it would probably be going and asking the person who quite literally was the last exception to the rule. Exactly. So if you ever wondered who was the last first year in a century to make a Quidditch team, it was Dumbledore. That's our thought. At That's least. our thought. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There we go. Um, but anyway, yeah. Again, I, I this is like just one of those where I really do love how much McGonagall loves Quidditch herself. Um, yes. On that same note, like. It seems like amongst the professors, like, you know, she says, like, I wasn't able to look Severus Snape in the, you know, the face for weeks after their last loss uh, to them. And this is like one of those things where it must be the case that like for the professors and heads of houses, respectively, it must be like like Quidditch is still like a point of pride. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It is. I love um, she tells him your father would have been proud. He was an excellent Quidditch player himself. But I think it's interesting because you later see James like walk around the school and he has a golden snitch with him and catches it. But James was not a seeker. No, he was not. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, one of the other details that we'll eventually learn is that snitches are um, specifically crafted, you know, by uh, the maker who makes them like while wearing gloves because one of the um, things that snitches are capable of doing is providing like a flush memory to basically showcase like who was the first person to ever handle that particular snitch. Yeah. In the Um, case of like a, you know, people reaching for it, which to me, even when I think about it, doesn't even seem like it makes sense. Like it's perfectly possible that like the losing team's seeker like reached out and made a grab for a snitch and just missed that but true. like touched it. Yeah, like <laughs> touched know? it. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I don't I don't know that it perfectly holds up and it, it certainly never reads for the first six books of the series at any point in time as if they are not just reusing the same snitch. Yeah, but then like when Harry receives it, it it's almost as if like Dumbledore like left him a golf ball. You know, it's like yeah. a snitch. What is he doing? Giving me a like, you know, I mean, because that would be like, you know, your your you know loved one or whatever passing away and leaving you with a golf ball, and it would be like, you know, this is only cool if the golf ball is significant, you know. But yeah. Like, otherwise, like it's just a golf ball. Mm-hmm. You know, these are like readily common, you know, objects or whatever. So sometimes it does feel like that's that's like like the snitch ruling. It almost feels like it sort of gets developed a little bit as the story progresses. It does kind of feel that way. Um, yeah. No, no doubt as well. I love the bottom of this page where uh, Wood is talking to Harry and he says only don't tell him or um, blah, blah, blah. or Harry uh, has been told by Oliver not to tell anyone. He's like he's talking to Ron and he says I start training next week. Only don't tell anyone. Wood wants to keep it a secret and literally the next sentence is Fred and George came into the hallway. Wood just told us <laughs> <laughs> it's like Wood's already talking about it, man. At or I mean, he's still the other team, but like you know what? I think it's like one person can keep a secret. Two can't, you know, right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yep. Yep. Um, no. So that's that's amazing. Um, we get another reference to Charlie. You know, we, yep. we haven't once since Charlie left. So this is another one of those situations where I always feel like as the story progresses, Bill like really eclipses Charlie in terms of like Weasley family importance and involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but Charlie in this first book, especially seems to come up on numerous occasions. Yeah, because he has to get Norbert They're like, uh, you know, that's that's going to be his big role later in the book. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah, and there's like a big reason why why Charlie will end up being. Super but so if, if they haven't once since Charlie left, how much older is he? Because they like. Ron is in his first year now, and Charlie's been gone 
for I wonder he's the oldest Weasley brother, so more than seven years. I don't know. Do we know that, that Charlie's older than Bill? Oh, maybe maybe that's not the case. I don't Bill, know. Bill I don't than know. Charlie. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Right. Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know that Charlie is the oldest. He may be the second. Um, but the the way that I've read it is almost on some level, like especially with the fact that McGonagall specifically says like Charlie Weasley himself couldn't have done it. Um, talking about uh, Harry's dive, it sort of reads to me as if like Oliver would have played with Charlie at some point. In time. Oh, like, right. So, he would have seen him. Yeah, yeah. Like so that that to me would almost suggest that like if if he's if Oliver is a fifth year and Harry's the youngest, it means the earliest Oliver could have started is his second year, which would have been three years prior. Right. Which means that some and if if uh, Slytherin flattened them last year, then it means that Charlie has at least been out for one season. Right. So I would say that it seems like Charlie's maybe like two years out of school. But sure. Like, that might be like something that's still like you might just need like more information overall. Um, and I've never paid close enough attention to it. I have always sort of assumed that Charlie was like quite a bit older, but I'm, I, I just don't know. Yeah. Well, no matter what, he's got to be at least by even your own math. They're still eight years older than Ron. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true because they wouldn't have they wouldn't have overlapped. Yeah, they don't overlap at Hogwarts at, at all. all. Yeah. And at least one year on top of that. But right. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, they talk. So Fred and George exit this and they say uh, Lee Jordan reckons he found the new secret passageway out of the school, but it's that one behind the statue of Gregory the Smarmy that we found in our first week, which I, I love this because it's like in their first week, like, I mean, I love how quickly the twins start like searching for secret passageways because it means that they started finding some without the map. Yeah, no, it, yeah. it absolutely does mean that. And so it means like, yeah, like the, the, these guys were like predetermined. Absolutely. Which, which also makes me wonder, like, you know, Percy like doesn't look for secret passages right but it does make you again wonder it's speaking of charlie and bill if either of them had sort of like found like one or two on yeah. their own so that like fred and george would even know to look for right yeah the like they're place. going in like oh yeah our yeah. eyes are open we're looking for all the secrets right 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 so like, you guys found a couple we'll find all of them it's yeah. on um yeah gregory the smarmy i just highlighted and just said trivia that feels like one of those questions that's like in their first year you know who does fred and george say that they you know, where do they find their first secret passage or whatever does harry ever use that one the statue of gregory the smarmy i out? don't remember I don't a lot of the secret so. passages are attached to like specific hogwarts like objects or statues or or you know pieces of the scenery in the castle or whatever that they do not stick in my brain at all yeah these are do, not details that stay with me I, okay that is that's funny i know that the the one to honey dukes is like in the in the back of the statue of like the one-eyed witch yes right? the one i i do remember that one yeah. yeah this was this is like a really cool attention to detail thing earlier this year i was playing through um hogwarts legacy which only got like a third of the way through okay but like i was just you know you're just wandering through the castle and at some point like i looked up on the wall and like there was just this big painting of the um of like trolls in tutus or whatever yes and i was like <gasps> and i turned around and i was like this is where the room of requirement is like it's right here and then i wasn't at that point in the book or in the game yet but like sure enough later on it was like boom this is where it is and it was like so fun to like realize that like this is this is from the book that's right it's got to be this is where it is where it's supposed to be like the and, attention and then it was, was like right yeah, on point yeah. that's amazing it was that's that was amazing. a very fun discovery 
Okay. No, that's but so anyway. cool. Yep, I love it. I love it. Um, let's see here. So then we finally start to to edge forward to the actual midnight duel. Um, you know, the chapter's namesake here, where Malfoy basically comes over and and once again is just basically like egging Harry on a little bit in a way that it's like he's he's had to cross the whole um, great hall in order to to be a pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you you start to learn like a little bit, I guess, about uh, what like wizards wizard dueling is, but it still feels sort of it feels to me like this is like the 11 year olds interpretation of how it's supposed to go down because like basically Ron basically steps in immediately knowing that Harry basically doesn't know what a wizard's duel is and um, you know Malfoy says like never heard of a wizard's duel before I suppose and Ron's like no of course he has I'm a second who's yours and it's like this idea of having like a second in a duel like this maybe this is a thing for like real world duels you know a la alexander hamilton or something I don't yeah i know i'm like trying to figure out what they mean by like a wizard's duel here because like if you're like what is the situation they're in where it's like it is civil enough for there to be rules like there is a second to come in but it's like a situation where death is on the line and like it feels like if you're du- like i mean you know like when they're in like the battle of hogwarts people are dueling all over the place but those that that feels like wizard du- like dueling in a in a sense of like we're fighting in a in a war yes. not th- what they're describing sounds more like a like an organized event it it absolutely you know? does yes but like it's like like what, t- what are the situations where death is on the line, but you're like, but but we'll have a backup person where the backup person isn't just helping you defeat your like deadly opponent. Well, I think it's like a de- like defending of one's honor type of situation. Yeah, like I think, you know, like in Game of Thrones or whatever. I think Tyrion, this is where he has. Um, oh, goodness gracious. If I hadn't started Jamie. This is it Jamie who well, fights on his behalf? Oh, well, that's I mean who he wants to fight on his behalf, but he ends up having Braun Braun yeah. Braun fights on his behalf. So like Tyrion and Braun sort of have this particular relationship where it's like if challenged to a duel, you may have somebody step in in your stead yeah. and and perform on your behalf. And it seems like there's almost like associated like legally binding or socially agreed upon like ramifications based on the the win of the duel. Yeah, like who like based on who wins. It's like, OK, well, now it's settled. Now we know. Yeah, Tyrion wins. <laughs> Tyrion wins, but this—I um, mean, th- even this is different. It's not like they each get a champion, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's—it's it's kind of—it's kind of odd and weird. So anyway, yeah, wizards duels apparently. Um, but what we again realize here is that, like, I think it speaks a little bit to, um, you know, Malfoy's sort of like slightly more capableness than you might typically grant him. Um, I mean, like the way he goes down, goes about it here is that he he very intentionally is able to. Um, hook, line, and sinker Ron and Harry in this situation, like effectively get them to go and be out in the castle in the middle of the night where they're not supposed to be and at no point in time has intention of actually going and participating in such duel and on top of that basically is tipping off Filch as to where they're going to be yeah. in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. So I know that's jumping ahead a little bit on the chapter there, but it's sort of like it's like, I mean, Malfoy is like being pretty you know, smarmy himself there didn't we yeah can call it malfoy the smarmy malfoy the smarmy yeah i love how when draco is issuing the duel he says wizards duel wand only no contact and then like one like paragraph later harry's like what if i wave my wand and nothing happens and ron says throw it throw it away and punch him (laughs) (laughs) he's like no no you're already having this apparently civil duel of honor the one rule was no contact ron okay (laughs) ron's like ah screw that screw that punch 
him right in the punch face. him right in the face. He also says if he tries to curse you, you better dodge it because I can't remember how to block them. I, I underlined. I can't remember and said as if you ever knew as if you ever knew. Yeah, no, yeah that's exactly right. Um, I, I do think there's a, a couple of interesting things that happen here. Uh, one of them is that as they stay up super late in order to sneak out in the middle of the night, they go down into the Gryffindor common room where they are um, confronted by one Hermione Granger who basically has stayed up and is like waiting for them to basically try to dissuade them from doing this particular task. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because this is exactly what Neville does later in the book to Harry, Ron and Hermione. Um, it it absolutely is what Neville does, but I, I don't know if I would classify like Hermione and Ron and Harry as friends yet. No, yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. I would agree. Like I think Hermione's Hermione's reasoning is is very different, but one of the things I do think is really interesting about this is that she then follows him outside of the portrait hole where she then gets stuck because the, the fat lady had gone on a nighttime visit um, and now all of a sudden she's sort of in like a weird situation where she doesn't want to get caught basically sitting outside of the Gryffindor common room, you know, after hours herself. Yeah. So she's like, well, I'm better off just going with you guys. At that point, they end up trotting into Neville, yep. whose arm, of course, had been mended earlier in the day and couldn't was unable to learn the new Gryffindor common room password, which is pig snout, right? Which, by the way, they're like the second week of school and they've already changed the password. Yeah, which seems like guys, maybe that's too often it's too often. Know, like, How are you telling the students this stuff? I don't know. It just Having seems little like meetings. It yeah. seems unnecessarily confusing. But I also what it's confused. This is let's see um, where did I write this down? Da, 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 da. Oh, Neville says, thank goodness you found me. I've been out here for hours. I couldn't remember the new password to get into bed, which like uh, how on earth did Harry and Ron not realize Neville wasn't in their dorm? Like, there's only five of them. That's true. You know, like That's they, true. they were up there. Where do they think Neville was? I think it even specifically says like that they were listening to the sounds of of Dean and Seamus falling asleep. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, but the, but they were staying up late, and it's sort of like Neville wasn't here, but we weren't concerned about that at all. <laughs> no, no worries at all. Also, I love when Hermione is confronting them. She says, "I can't believe you're going to do this, Harry." Like. End of sentence. <laughs> Ron, obviously you do this. Harry, Harry in particular, so I can't believe right, it. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, what, what I find fascinating about this, so we just made a video um, this past week on the Super Carlin Mothers YouTube channel where we were talking. Um, what were we talking about? Something to do with Neville. Um, it was um, what if Sirius raised Harry? Yes, that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Because basically it ends up being the case that Neville and, and Harry end up being a little bit closer and therefore Neville is just like a part of the group. And one of the things that we point out inside of that video is that like it's like, oh, see the devil snare when they're going through and doing all the respective challenges. Like Hermione does potions, Ron does chess, Harry does winged keys. And it's like we know that Neville's like best subject is herbology. So right. it's like on some level we made the point. It was like it almost feels like like Neville was intended to be the fourth member of this group. Right. And like that Dumbledore the, thought he'd go with them or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like on some level, I was like, this started to be my, like my new headcanon, especially as I was reading this chapter, because I was like, if anything, it, it does seem like it was like there are four challenges that they go through. We know that. Well, there's is, also Fluffy and the troll. There is also Fluffy yeah. and the troll. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, I always forget about the troll because it's already just it's already conscious. knocked out. Yeah, but um, but, but Dumbledore is conceivably accounting for that. Yes, because he know he knows Quirrell is the suspicious one. Right. Yeah. Right. But the fact that what we end up with in the middle of this night for this first particular duel is this group of four people all being out there, sort of like four unusual circumstances. It feels like Neville was supposed to be a bigger part of this trio. Even the fact that like the Marauders were a group of four, four and you know, 
uh, Harry, Ron and Hermione sort of each respectively represent, um, you know, like Harry is clearly supposed to be James, uh, Sirius and Ron sort of represent the same role as yeah. sort of like diehard best friend, Hermione and Lupin, uh, you know, sort of are like the, the brains of the operation. And then you've got like, you know, I would never compare Neville to Peter in terms of like, like, right, you know, yeah. character, character or like anything. Neville, but Neville outpaces him a right. million strides. But they one. are both sort of that like bumbling boy. A- exactly. That maybe are like, yeah. you know, sort of like looking for, for home or friendship, like with, with the rest of the kids there or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, it's just like one of those things where it's like, is it the case that like something happened somewhere along the way and it was like too hard to incorporate a group of four into like the storytelling and so like Neville sort of flits in and out of the frame a little bit based on like yeah. when and how he's needed. But anyway, that was like one of those where I was like, I, I, I think the Devil's Snare is there because I think originally Neville went. Oh, I think that's interesting. That is yeah. interesting. Also, in case you're wondering how the rest of the characters from that uh, era round out, Ginny is supposed to be Lily and Luna is Snape. Luna is Snape, yeah. but again, a much, much, much better Snape. Yeah, um, I mean, Luna, clear. I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing. The The present generation, Harry, Ron, Hermione, Neville, Luna, and Ginny are like the best versions of the characters from the past. Exactly. Uh, other than like Lillian. Lily's sort of like a flawless character of the story, so there's not much. Uh, to really change. Yeah, change. not much to change yeah. about there. Ginny's just cool either way. But like Luna's like a Snape who like Snape is a character. They're both like the outcast characters, yeah. basically. And it's like they have like the friendship with the the Ginny Lily character archetype yes. going on there. But then um, like G- L- Snape lets himself be defined by the way that like other people treat him. And even though people treat Luna the same way, like she doesn't let that define her. Exactly. Anyway. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think it's the perfect way to yeah. phrase it. So it's it's sort of like one of the the least likely comparable characters. Right. You know, like Luna and Snape, they seem nothing alike, but that is sort of like the way in which they both fall into that original Marauders equation. Mm-hmm. They're waiting for Malfoy to see whether or not like he's going to actually uh, show up and let's see here. I'm trying to trying to figure out how to lead myself into this. Uh, there's the curse of the bogeys curse of the bogeys, <laughs> yeah, which I think is sort of like I think the curse of the bogeys is a really ominous way of saying the bat bogey hex. Yeah, which uh, like feels like one of the more common hexes that like largely comes to pass. Like, yeah, it feels like it's sort of in vogue during Harry's time. Yeah, um, so I, I, I never was, even know what that's supposed to mean. Like is it supposed to make like turn like make bats come out of your nose y- you or know, is it like are you covered in like Bats not. <laughs> it, it always seems like yeah. They describe it as like like little flapping things all over your skin, which almost makes me think like I don't know. It's really kind of disgusting to think about. Um, <laughs> but it's almost like 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 boogers affixed to your face that right. are then flapping. Right. Is is sort of like my interpretation of it, which is just okay. Just, the bat boogie hex. Yeah, just kind of horrendous. I, yeah. To think about. I also r- just highlighted where it said. Uh, the curse of the bogeys quarrel told us about and I just like made a little note just said teaching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Some something did it teach. He did it teach. Amazing. Uh, but from there, yeah, we pretty much see that Malfoy again has has absolutely set them up. Mm-hmm. Um, Filch is once again sort of like d- discovering them and or just simply waiting inside of the trophy room where they're supposed you gotta, to. You gotta um, love that Filch is totally okay with this sense of like entrapment happening here where it's like oh you set people up to get in trouble great i'll get them in trouble yes exactly yeah. and in no way shape or form is he just like 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 intending to head it off it's like like 
instead of just waiting outside of the Gryffindor common room, he's waiting inside of the trophy room right. to discover them where he knows them to eventually be. Where it's like a real teacher or like somebody who's trying to like enforce rules here would simply head them off before they ever even had a chance to get this far. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's just it's just like, ridiculous. He, he thrives on the idea of being able to punish them. Yes. Um, hilariously, I know that we've harped on it a lot, so I won't spend too much time on it, but they basically go directly from running into Filch and Mrs. Norris to running into Peeves, which I once again think is just literally no mistake. I think that they're just on opposite ends of the same coin. They are mm-hmm. out in the middle of the castle for the same reason. One is trying to enforce rules. One is trying to cause chaos. Uh, it just again, I think like doubles down on that idea that Filch is just in fact a poltergeist and it just keeps coming up and I yep. feel like it's, it keeps fitting. Yep. Um, uh, but when they do run into Peeves, uh, they say, shut up, Peeves, please. You'll get us thrown out. And so just once again, yeah. just like another nod <laughs> like, to this idea. Like of, you, you were out of bed. That's it. You don't get to learn magic ever again, ever. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yes, yes. As, as if that is how it would work. Uh, then they find the door, which is locked and uh, opens to Alohomora, which like, like what a pointless, what a pointless lock. Like there's so many other ways they can lock this door that like Alohomora won't work on it. It's like this is the kind of like thing that makes it feel like Dumbledore wants it to be discovered. <laughs> it's like, yes, it, you know, like, like, like on some because and that's the thing is that, you know, he like what am I trying to say here? The the accidental stumbling into this room is just an extremely dangerous thing to simply have happen. So it's like, OK, so it's locked. That means first years can't get into it. But like basically, like as soon as you've learned the spell, it's like, yeah, anyone could get in but it's like it's not only a matter of like not wanting someone to be able to get in because they might get hurt by fluffy it's like making this door itself difficult to get through should just be another layer in guarding the stone yes you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and that that's like one of those as well like where you can you can start to inch your way and i won't do too much of it now because i want to save it for later but the the dumbledore's big plan oh which yeah essentially suggests that everything to do with the recovery of the stone is effectively just an obstacle course specifically created for harry and friends yeah um but we'll we'll definitely we'll delve into that really big as we get towards the end of this this book here um but so anyway yeah so they they basically successfully escape uh peeves they eventually make it back to the um oh well they they encounter fluffy who is that is like one of those things as well where like fluffy is just locked inside of this room oh i know for the whole year the whole year ron even says like if any dog needs exercise that one does and i was like no but for real that is a real thing like i I highlighted that same phrase and literally said not a terrible point yeah Yeah, like like that's that's that is just true i know Um, poor fluffy up there yep yep but then um so they make it back uh into the common room by using the password pig snout uh we get the 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 totally infamous line from hermione who says i hope you're pleased with yourselves we all could have been killed or worse expelled i know i'll highlight that one which such a such a classic line and i uh, i noticed this too is that on just the page before that when they're in the room with fluffy it says harry grope for the doorknob between filch and death he'd take filch (laughs) So it's like Harry actually has like the same thought process, but in reverse. Oh, that's you hilarious. He's like, yep. yeah, 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 yeah. Worse to worse to be um, uh, or better to be expelled than dead. And then Hermione one page later is like, I'd rather you, we could have been expelled. I'd rather have died. It, it's almost yeah. surprising in that case. Yeah, Hermione's not like, nope, we're staying in this room. I'm yeah. not going out there. Getting <laughs> know, expelled. <right>? Like, <laughs> excuse me. Take my chances with the dog. <laughs> 
Right, right. So anyway, yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're starting to get like the, the foundation a little bit for not only uh, the relationship between, you know, who we affectionately refer to as the golden trio, um, but also sort of this habit they have of sneaking out in the middle of the night, which I do eventually think like pairs up really nicely uh, with the reception of the invisibility cloak, you know, where it's like, oh, now, yeah. like they sort of have to struggle with being out in the middle of the night a little bit and like, like, you know, endure some of the woes about the fact that they're just fully exposed until they can eventually be right. perfectly protected. By it's the unbelievable to me that the four of them managed to successfully sneak out and not get caught without the cloak. And later on, Harry almost can't go three steps with the cloak on without getting caught by Filch. That's a good point. It, yeah. do, it does feel a little bit like maybe some of some of Harry's like use of the cloak in the middle of the night. It's like nobody's out in the middle of the night. Like the corridors right. are all empty. You I can know. Just simply like, you know, not that you wouldn't have to be careful, but if you were if you were listening or if it, you know Filch was required to like carry a torch, you know, it's like in in that particular instance, just just look around each corner hard. before you right. go out. Yeah, exactly. Like and the other thing is that like if this is another thing that points to Filch being a poltergeist is that he is apparently just out in the castle every night, but he's also working in the castle all day. Yeah, it's like it doesn't seem like he needs to sleep. Like why? There's no reason. Like. At like I guarantee you at boarding schools, there's not people just patrolling the halls at night, making sure students are in their bed. Yeah, you yeah. just trust the students to stay in bed. Right. I mean, it would seem right. like it would su- it would seem like such a um, such a a large amount of effort. Yeah. For something that I think most nights would not end up being a problem. Yeah. Well, especially there's the other thing, especially for the Gryffindor. I realize it's like they get back and they're like pigs now, pigs now, and the fat lady's back and she lets them in. It's like the fat lady is like. For the Gryffindors should just be the 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 reason none of you ever go out. Like literally every day, McGonagall must go to the Gryffindor common room at some point, and she could just be like, "Anyone get out of bed last night?" Oh, I, yeah. You know, I, I I wrote that down actually because I was I was curious about the exact same thing. I was like, "Is it possible that the fat lady is not able to report students?" Um, because I mean, even like when we go when we fast forward to. Uh, like a reminiscence from Molly and Arthur. We know that like one night in particular, they were out past like four 30 in the morning or something like that. Um, and it's like, it, it does seem like the fat lady would just be like a really, really, really good security system just to simply be like, yeah, this scare this, this person was out in the middle of the night. Like, right. Like and, anytime anyone, cause she can visit the other frames. Like as soon as students get out, she could just be like, well, I'm going to have to go wake up Minerva or Dumbledore or whoever. But I wonder, maybe this is like one of those things too, where it's like, I think at the end of the day, like Dumbledore doesn't really mind a little rule breaking. Oh, that, that this is, it reminds me of Ender's game where like he like, uh, when he gets to the school and Ender is like, they wouldn't have made these so easy to hack if they didn't expect us to do it. That's true. You know, yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. it feels like there's a little, like, I always feel like Dumbledore has this, like that sort of whimsy about him with rule breaking where he's like, of course we have rules, but like wink, wink, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Like eventually even with the, the mirror of era said like Dumbledore clearly is like giving Harry the cloak with the knowledge that Harry's going to leave the dormitory and go exploring. And he's basically waiting for him yeah. where he expects him to, ultimately right. you know be in a castle that you could otherwise easily get lost in so it's like Dumbledore is pretty sure about like how how certain things are going to go the other thing too I guess that you could keep in mind is it's hard to know how long uh, the Gryffindor common room has used the fat lady portrait as its its mechanism for entry but if it's been up there since the beginning and it's a millennium old it's like it's possible that like literally she's just witnessed so many kids be out in the middle of the night that like she just doesn't think that much of it anymore right, it's like, like whatever it's like like for 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 the past 1,000 years 
years, kids have been sneaking out in the middle of the night. Right, yeah. So it's like... Gotta, just got to let the kids be kids, man. Exactly, exactly. So, <laughs> Well, speaking I, of which, the uh, chapter art for this particular chapter, The Midnight Duel, features the fat lady. Yes, it sure does. Yeah, you get, you get a, a, an interesting look here, and it's funny because, like... The, they, they talk often about climbing through the portrait hole. And I think in particular at one point, um, Ginny is frustrated that Dean is like helping her through the portrait hole. Yeah. And she's like, you're always doing that, Dean. Like, yeah, you know, you're, you're always helping me through the hole. And this is like, it's funny because, and maybe it's because I was influenced partially by this particular photo just in, in the first book. But I never think of the portrait hole as like something you would need help to get through. Yeah. I, I always just sort of think of it as like a big painting hanging on the wall and there's just like a threshold like any other door would have. Like, yeah, I mean, it seems like the door doesn't extend all the way to the ground. Like there is a certain amount of like stepping through it. I was imagine this one. The, the one in the book makes it look like really big. Like you do have to step over it, but uh, I think it, like in my mind, I've always imagined it like a big oval or something, which seems like it would be such a such a hassle in the morning if lots of students are all exiting the common room at the same time. Like, hold on, we all got to climb through. That does, yeah. It seems like that would be incredibly cumbersome to, yeah. to kind of like like weasel your way through this this like unusual position every time. You're right though. Maybe, maybe I have pictured an oval in my head, and it's like, how big does the oval have to be in order to have a proper shaped rectangle behind it? Yeah, I mean, it's not the portrait door; it's the portrait hole. The portrait you know? hole. Yeah. I've never described a hole, uh, you know, uh, uh, you see a square hole, a square know? hole, square hole. Actually, for a period of time, also it, like before we really got going with Super Carlin Brothers, I was our mom works for the local SPCA, yeah, and I was digging the graves for the pet cemetery. Oh, what a fun job! As like a spare, yeah, like a, like a, my like my side hustle or whatever. <laughs> which one digging holes, the hardest exercise known to man, and very difficult. But oddly, I do think of holes sometimes as square, simply oh. because I was digging <laughs> graves, All right. well. and they were square. But that was a total aside, and mostly just an opportunity to talk about this really weird and eclectic job I once did. Um, anyway, so what do you think of the chapter art? You like this one? I like this one. Yeah, I think it's so funny that it shows Harry and Ron like in their pajamas and even in their like um, in, in the chapter, it says like they put on their bathrobes and I was like, guys, what you're going to what you think is a duel. Why aren't you wearing better clothes? Yeah, <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you going to be out there dueling Malfoy in your bathrobe? In your bathroom? <laughs> that, that, that does feel like one of those things like where I can imagine Malfoy showing up actually and being like, he's wearing bathrobes <laughs> like Potter. it feels like the type of thing Malfoy would never let Harry live down. Yeah, yeah, yeah so anyway. yeah, he's just there with the camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Gotcha journalism at its best. Yep. Okay, do you have a review for us for today? Well, 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 I can give you a quick review from uh, over on Apple Podcasts here. Yes, this one comes from Rachel C. who says, such a great conversation. I listened to all the available episodes, one through five, and then had to get my husband involved, so we were starting from the beginning and getting caught up. We listen to the books every night to go to sleep, and the question we have are similar to the ones that the Carlin brothers bring up. I love the, their conversation, and we still have um, we can still have over the books. My husband wants to know if squibs can use magical objects or not. If you could help him out. Ooh, that's interesting. Like, so they could use like a port key like. Oh, yeah. Like could they use a port key? Like I'm like thinking like the deluminator or something. It seems like I don't see any reason that wouldn't work. You know, that's true. That it seems like you just click it. it would it be like, no, you're not magic. It's just a lighter to you. This, this, yeah. yeah, like this This literally just does the function you expect it to. Yeah. Um, that feels like the type of thing like a, like a magical inventor may incorporate into kind of like Newt's commander's case, like where he have the yeah. ability to like magicify it 
or not, you know, on the yeah. basis of, but that's something he's manually doing, not just like yeah. if you open it, it's like, you know, to anybody but else. It just this looks is a like, good question because it's like, could like a, could like a, could a squib go into the pensive? You know, something like that. I, I know. I'm, I'm trying to think if there's could like anyone any... could a muggle. Right. That's the question. Yeah. yeah. It's like I'm trying. I'm trying to get like a baseline for anything that we see that could potentially be unusual. Okay. What's coming to mind is ghosts for me, where muggles can't become ghosts. Only wizards can become ghosts. Okay. But so could a squib become a ghost? This is a tricky one. That is a tricky one. Hmm. I, I mean, again, I think we have a very, very, very small example to go off of, but I do think Jacob uses a port key in the Fantastic Beast movies when they go on the bucket. You're right. Um, You're right. And so if, to that end, yes. Uh, yeah. So I think I think that that would be that's the only nearly canon explanation that we would have as to how or when or why. Um, like anybody who's non-magical because I, I I largely think that when it comes down to it, a squib is sort of like a derogatory term that is otherwise just being used towards what are effectively just like witch and wizard born muggles. Right. But there is like some, I think the, the, the problem comes when Mrs. Fig is defending Harry in court. And it's the and question of whether or not yeah, she whether can squibs see. can see the Dementors because muggles can't see Dementors, but wizards can. But she's a squib and she says she can and they don't know. Yeah, even I think Fudge in that situation is like, can they? And like this is like one of those situations where you can't tell because like Mrs. Fig seems better than we've ever really known her to be in the past. Um, like in terms of like she she even says like you know I, I had to kind of make it uncomfortable for you for all those years because otherwise the Dursleys you know if they thought you were having a good time they wouldn't have let you come over yeah so you're like almost wondering like to what lengths was Mrs Fig being like man I'm really gonna have to like like find ways to make this uncomfortable yeah or is Mrs Fig still just sort of like a like you know your your stereotypical like cat lady who you know lives you know in solitude yeah. and, and Although, maybe even to that end like uh, this is like some extracurricular reading on like Pottermore but like Mrs. Fig is not just it's not cats they're measles that, that is she's true. reading so she's still like interacting with the magical world that's a good point in some capacity yeah right and yeah that's a good point it's a good point and the, the other one too is that like if you're a muggle you're not supposed to be able to see the castle and and to backtrack on our own theory about filch who otherwise we believe to be a squib right based on the writing yeah not um, that's not that's not necessarily canon but so like like with within the story he's a presumably just a squib yes. who works at the school but he can see the school because he works there right 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 yeah so that that must mean on some level i feel but, like oh, but then jacob goes inside the school too that's also true yeah that's also true yeah, yeah. so it's like maybe once you like like from afar it would look like moldering old ruins but like once you actually went inside it would just look like it's supposed to maybe that's like I, that's that's like one of those things where it does feel like there's a big disillusionment charm over the whole castle but it's like a disillusionment charm is just simply so that you don't keep investigating it's just sort of be like well there's no reason to go over there um which you know if you know anything about actual human muggles we would absolutely investigate ruins to the nth degree yeah um, right so it's like it's like if that i don't think that would really dissuade most muggles but either way um but that would suggest that like if you were to cross through the barrier then of, of the disillusionment charm then what you would see is just what's actually there i think i think muggles could use magical objects i think the port key is a great example like 
the pork tea exists and they use it. And I feel like if Jacob was holding the invisibility cloak, he could use it. Right. You know, he also, if he drinks the giggle water, it does cause him to giggle, which sounds like not that magical, but I'm assuming that giggle water is a magically infused um, yeah, beverage. Like beverage. Yeah, you know, so it's like on some level, like it is, it is doing the thing that it is supposed to be able to accomplish. Because there's no otherwise, there's no like liquid you could drink now that would like you would take a sip and make you laugh. Right. Um. So, okay, okay. I think Squibs. I mean, kid, Jacob was in Newt's case. You know, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I think I think Squibs could interact with magical objects. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Yeah. I think I think that you couldn't channel your magic through anything, but that doesn't mean that a magical object wouldn't still do what it magically does of its own accord. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Because even if you go to like Fred and George's um, disappearing head hats, yeah. like the like Hermione comments that the spell inside of the hat must be like particularly like skillful. Yeah. Um, oh, but this is also just. Arthur's whole job is just the misuse of muggle artifacts and it's just like muggles getting you know in accidents with magically enchanted objects so that's like also they, true I mean yeah. they don't know how to use them correctly but they interact with them plenty that's true yeah that's true so yes yes to answer your question uh, it, but it wasn't obvious it yeah took, it took some it took yeah, some we, took, like, we got there yeah we got there in the end so anyway but yeah if you guys have any reviews for us it certainly does help the show out a lot if you'd be happy to go and leave us a five star uh, you may also get the opportunity to hear your review read here uh, on the podcast oh, and so. leave us a question that was fun the questions are fun yeah. yeah we also have a spreadsheet down below which I feel like we have not interacted with in the way that we want to at all uh, not a spreadsheet but a, a, a Google form where if you have a question about a specific chapter especially if it's one that is upcoming uh, you can submit your question through there and that is actually something we can try to incorporate into future episodes of the show yeah so that's a great way to sort of you know get involved a little bit in the conversation and uh, maybe if there's something that Jay and I don't happen to catch inside of the chapter which I have to say it blows my mind how often me and you have highlighted the same oh I know like, the words things that phrases. like stand out to us yeah, yeah. Um, but that possibly is due to the fact that you and I look at the story through the same lens so frequently. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but if there's anything we haven't touched on, anything that you know is upcoming that you want to make sure that we do discuss, uh, be sure to check out that Google form down below and submit it. Uh, we would absolutely appreciate it. But I think that's all for today. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll see you next time through the Gryffindor. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.